So apparently, when you smile and speak into the mic, the listener can actually tell you're emoting. And I hope that you can hear my smile when I say that the title of this ep is true. We interviewed the filmmaker Jane Campion, the special guest of this Sydney Film Festival, this year's Sydney Film Festival, and probably the special guest on our guest list of movies, movies, movies interviewees. We were so lucky to pull this off, and we have so many people to thank. I'm going to start this app by just introducing three key players who allowed this interview to happen: Laura Jean, the incredibly talented musician. You should. Definitely look up their album Amateurs. It is such an incredibly moving listen, and in the same way that the interview that we have upcoming with Jane, we talk about work versus creativity. Amateurs really talks about workflow versus money. So we have Laura to thank. We have Emerson Rosenthal and Baby Sam from the United States who provided research capabilities, and by that I mean. Logins to Criterion collections so that we could research certain films that were only available in America on a streaming service before we interviewed Jane. What can I say? I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to let you know that coming up is Jane Campion in her element. So you are going to be in for a breakdown of the leading question that we had, which was whether she thinks that she's an experimental filmmaker. But basically, we speak about the power of flow and frequency, how she came up through an art world, and whether she thinks that's still informing what she does. Persevering. We also make Jane laugh. We talk about two friends, peel, passionless moments. Yes, the short film that she made at film school, where her editor had to steal back the rushes. We talk about Jane's film school, the pop up that she's launching to encourage. Filmmakers who don't want to pay hefty fees. We talk about when actors drop into character. I'm giving you the table of contents. You should just press play and enjoy one of the most special interviews that we've ever conducted. Get into your body and let it tell you the truth, as Jane says. Coming to you from the movies, movies, movies Zoom studio. This is Jen and Andre discussing Capital C Cinema with Jane Campion. Spotlight. 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 So I feel really confident about our questions. The one I'm anticipating the most is probably asking about her quote. I don't know all the answers, but I'm the most qualified person to find out. Yes, I love that. Yeah, are there any other things, like any other tangents you'd like to go down or avoid? I mean, Sel really wants to know how she feels about being in a retrospective while she's still alive. Uh, do you think that's a sexy question, or is that what everyone's going to be asking her? It's a blue day. My only thing is that you talked about how existential maybe isn't the strongest point. Yeah, she's very pragmatic. I I had a question where I was just like, I can't tell with you how autobiographical your film work is, which sounds like a misogynist question because I feel like men never get asked that. They can just make whatever they want. But at the same time, like, who are you? Mm. You know what I mean? Like, who are you? Who are you? And which which film do you think speaks most to your, like, current spirit? 
when he was a boy. How do we slide in the fact that I was the driver on Top of the leg. Oh, honestly, I think Jane's just immune to name dropping and she's a, an absolute non-social climber. Like, she's just amazeball. She's just a hard worker. I feel so top of the leg. Like, outside, it's over-policed and beautiful. And inside, it's like top of the leg season two, chaos and ugly. And I'm going as Bright Star. My favorite movie to be sick to. Beautiful, big Cornish with a cat. What happened to Abby Cornish? Why didn't she get a role in Succession? Sarah Snook is so Abby Cornish part two. That even process for which Australian actress gets a vehicle every single year on HBO show. Whether it's Eliza Scanlon, whether it's Abby Cornish, whether it's Sarah Snook. Theresa Palmer. Theresa Palmer, but it's Margot Robbie. It's like, okay, we can only have one. We can only have one. Oh my God, I said, I thought, I can't wait to tell you properly. We hung out with David Sequeira. Do you know him? He's head of Sydney Meyer. Jane's here. Do you mind if I welcome her in? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I love hello. it. Oh. Hello, hello. <laughs> so, you are. You're Andre and Slay is. Jen. 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 Okay, cool. Yeah. So, Excellent. Jen and I, we're uh, at FBI Radio. So, that actually brings me to the first. Yeah. Would you we mind. We have a show called um, Movies, Movies, Movies. Yeah. Would you mind terribly opening just so we can play this on the show? Hi, my name's Jane Campion, and you're listening to Movies, Movies, Movies. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Jane Campion, and you are listening to Movies, Movies, Movies. That's the most cringe thing we're going to make you do. We are past that. We can now do <laughs> the real stuff. Jen has a beautiful opening question about Ari, who worked with you most recently on Our the Dog. We interviewed them on the show. It was last year. Oh, oh yeah. Two years what? ago. No, it was two years ago. It was like Zola, Power of the Dog, like huge year for yeah. um, and I asked him a question about working with you. And Ari was just like, my favorite thing that I learned from working with Jane was that if it's a block and you're not feeling it, go have a swim. And I guess I just wanted to ask you about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm really more and more certain uh, that it's all about energy and flow. Um, how creativity works and that it really is a power and that um, if you can connect to it without fear, you can pretty much, you can imagine something, you can pretty much know it's going to happen um, and you have some, you know, passion and excitement about it. And when that gets a bit tense or blocked, and it can sometimes when you're trying to figure out some nutty logistics or something, look, you just got to keep it fun or it's it's so much work, it it doesn't, feel exciting anymore and for me my work practice is based on you know play um in the sense of exploration inquiry and also a really massive work ethic you know like uh if I can think of a way of doing it better I have to do it <laughs> so um I have to try it I have to explore it because that, that is the fun part for me um so yeah that it's no it's not good to I mean sometimes you just have to push on in slightly uncomfortable circumstances because you know the day has almost come to an end and you know, you're filming that's not a time to go down for a swim but, <laughs> but when you're um, developing and planning you know and you've got some space around you it's 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 a beautiful to yeah change change uh, stations change the you know change the vibrations do you mind if I follow up then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
I, I think it's safe for me to say that Jen and I, our favorite works of yours are at a tie to Friends, the, the telly movie you've made and also Peel. And I remember when we were talking about those films at film school, we went to afters. Um, it was always- I said we weren't gonna say the A word. We I'm said sorry. we weren't gonna do the A I'm word sorry. today. I said we wouldn't do the A word, but when we, were talk when we used to talk about Two Friends and Peel, it was under the banner of experimentation. And I actually wonder, do you consider yourself an experimental filmmaker or do you uh, like reach towards being experimental or avant-garde in any way? Well, I had come up through like an art school background and, you know, that gave me a lot of um, a lot of respect for the process of, I, I guess, economy and whatever you're doing and also freshness and, you know, like, you know, it's always that business of, I mean, not, I mean, some projects don't suit wild experimental play, like, for example, An Angel at My Table. That's just a beautiful memory of an extraordinarily vulnerable person and you just want to get out of the way of it and you just feel like it's an honour to have been shepherded into a bigger public. But my own spirit is quite, you know, I've got a lot of different personalities going on in here and sometimes I love to do crazy experimental things and um, or give it a go. And I think in this, the story of Peel is actually a classic piece. <laughs> I don't think it's very experimental. It's a, it's a family portrait. And, you know, because I, you know, started off with these exercise and discipline and these sort of family lines because I did anthropology, you know, where you, it's quite complicated to explain that Tim, the guy in it, is the brother, not the, you know, what their relation is, brother, sister, with the, you know, Tim's child, Ben, um, in the story. So, I don't know, I just, like, think, well, whatever info I've got, I can include, you know, whatever my tastes are, whatever I like, what I'm interested in. And, um, yeah, I, I do see that, I see that film as everything I ever learnt in cinema <laughs> because it was the hardest thing I've ever done. And um, I learned how to edit. I learned how to, I, I, and I learned from the other students at film school too. Yeah, I just felt there was something there when the school didn't and I kept going and, um, you know. And you stole, and you stole from the school. Is that true? Stole. No. I feel like I said, you told, I learned. I learned. Yeah. I feel like I you learned. tell this story or you told this story, but maybe it's like on the DL that you had to like reclaim the film stock. No, that was another film. That was Passionless Moments. We did have to steal that. You know, so you know those arbitrary rules there sometimes it was like crazy. Um, there was dead film stock, like free film stock that they had uh, because it was outdated and it did have some splodges in it. Um, and we wanted to put it into the Sydney Film Festival as an experimental piece, Passionless Moments. Um, and, yeah, I think the editor had to steal it out of me safe. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I honestly didn't think anything of that. I just thought, like, they're idiots, whatever, you know? They're totally idiots. The film school that I believe... Well, that's what... That's what I wanted to talk on. That's what I wanted. Let's talk about yeah. pedagogy. Lean in. Jane, you want, or I believe you're in the process of creating a film school in New Zealand? Yeah, we've done it already. Um, it's already going. It's six months in. And um, it's a pop-up film school. So, you know, 
could do it really quickly and and Netflix have funded it. Oh. Um, it's a free film school so that the students are actually paid to go, like quite a lot of money. Um, so they don't actually have to have a second job or, or wealthy parents. And I'm doing this because in tribute really to the gift that I was given um, of going to film school when I did win, it was free and we were also given a stipend um, and, you know, budgets to make our movies. And I mean, I, I know I would not have become a filmmaker without that uh, support and financial encouragement and also just to be there amongst um, the other students who were, you know, my life support. Mm. I think we've we've always advocated a lot for resourceful cinema because uni is so expensive the film festival circuit is pretty privileged you have to have such high production values to even be seen and then we're looking at our like queer friends who aren't able to break mm. through even though they have the most radically creative brains and they're experimenting with form and new things oh, that's a shame. yeah you know what i mean and it, i think when we read that news we were so inspired we're like okay you're actually you're actually doing it you're setting up this yeah, film. we've done it. It's it's we've got 10 students and we did a a selection process where you know like you didn't have to have made a film before, but you would have had to, it was like a postgraduate level, I guess. Mm. So that you would have had to have made a short film of some, you know, note. And most people's short films are just like, oh, I made one, you know. <laughs> really is nothing much in them. And, and mine were like that too. <laughs> What's your, like, what's your opening lecture when everyone comes in? Like, what's the first thing you say to 10 students? Well, I don't really think that way. Um, you know, like, I guess what I could explain was that, you know, the first brief that we gave them, what I gave them was, you know, that this is an opportunity to find your voice and to take some risks and experiment. And, you know, I encourage you to, you know, not just to leave it, oh, that experiment failed, but to try to keep working until it succeeds, you know, you have to learn that, learn to land things, you know, like that is the business of filmmaking. Like you can make a mistake. That's cool. But don't finish there. Mm. Figure out why it failed and land it, you know. And uh, the first first um, actual idea that they were asked to do was, this is something I became very interested in, was like to make a short piece, uh, just image and voiceover. And they all were taught how to use cameras, um, like magic. Um, we bought four of those cameras and they shared them. And um, also they recorded their own sound and everyone made their own and also they edited themselves. So, and in order for the school to work, everybody has to have that, learn that capacity. And about six people had no idea how to use a camera or anything like that, but got it together. And, um, you know, about four of them were pretty, pretty good already. Maybe less than that were really good. I would say, oh no, probably four. Yeah. What kind of um, what kind of films are you seeing from the school? Like, what, what are well, you? Well, we're not making about? yeah films yet. We're they're all briefs like that, you know. So the things that came out of that one were actually astonishing. They're beautiful, pretty, some amazing efforts, you know. Um, and everybody kind of goes up and down as how much effort they put into each of them or whatever. But um, I thought um. Basically, we see, you know, people trying to find um, how how to combine all the elements that are involved in, you know, a, a scene or a little film or making meaning or finding your voice 
where, you know, you're putting actors together with coverage to do with world building, to do with, this, you know, a script. Um, and every, every element that has got meaning there, they're sort of working out, you know, how they, how they want it to work, you know, because yeah. everybody's mm-hmm. going to use those elements in different degrees, you know, like for me, and the story changes too, but for me, you know, performance is a really interesting issue. So I love to work with intricate performance. Um, but also world building is a favourite thing I love to do. Hmm. So, and then the coverage, you don't necessarily want to be like super complicated because if you've got a super complex story, you know, you just want it to have an elegance and a flow, you know, like control or something. But so we're, we talk about all these issues. We have little film fests. Yeah. I mean, we had an interesting one before that was based on um, the book Conversations, which is Walter Murch talking with Michael Ondaatje. And we just basically saw all the films they talked about <laughs> in that book. <laughs> and um, because it's something I gave to myself, and I think it's incredibly educational. Yeah. And, you know, because what we were seeing there is zootrope, you know, like Finding Their Feet, that those filmmakers, those stunning filmmakers um, of, you know, Coppola's generation, um, you know, like TH1138, um, you know, stunning first film that they made there at Zotrope. And have you guys seen that? Is that the, uh, that the George Lucas one? George Lucas? Exactly. With yeah, the sound? It's, it, no, it's a sort of dystopia story um, yes. with um, Duval in it. Um, it's absolutely freaking brilliant and the world building is astonishing. It's like his most avant-garde piece. Yeah. Um, try and catch up. I mean, it's one of the first things they did. It was kind of went to Cam, but it was a flop. And, um, I, you know, he he went on to do, um, what was that, one of that teenagers um, yeah, yeah, yeah. around um, American Graffiti. American and Graffiti. then and, and, and then Star Wars, you know. We're actually and, but, talking about Star Wars. We were like, oh, he, yeah. like, made a huge mistake and he ruined his career because oh. he set this expectation for himself to be a blockbuster mm-hmm. filmmaker, and I don't think he ever wanted to be. The George Lucas discourse. Yeah. Well, you can when you see THX one one three one one three, I think it is. You will see how freaking arty he is. But you know, we were talking the other day about AI and going, like, oh my god, what's it going to be like? What sort of form are those AI things going to be like? And I said, well, I think George Lucas has already imagined some of it. You know, like it'll be this emotional attachment to your little computer that's wobbling around after you. You know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think he's a genius. He's an absolute actual genius. And then we're also looking at um, this, you know, I think it's such an interesting moment because when those guys came out of film school, it's a moment like now really when there just didn't seem any opportunity. Everything that was being made was like big American movies that they didn't relate to and they were relating to the European cinema, you know, Goddard and um, Truffaut and, and people like that and, you know, Antonioni. And so what they wanted to do was to have a, create a personal American cinema mm. or some cinema that, you know, it just wasn't happening. And right now, if you know, you know, what's all Marvel and, you know, those different kind of crazy worlds that I, just, I didn't even, I'm not even interested in. And, but, you know, most of the world is. <laughs> so, um, but it is an opportunity to like, how, well, how can we just start our thing, you know? Um, and so, the next thing they had to do was like they had to like try and um, get some money, and they offered um, Coppola Godfather, 
Mm. And Godfather wasn't something you wanted to do, you know, Mario Puzo's novel and, you know, screenplay. And But, how, however, something really interesting happened. He started to figure out how he could make it personal. He could do what his mission was with that material because he is an Italian and that's why he gave it to him, he's, you know, Italian director and that's what Mario Puzo wanted. And so he could use his family story and family members and, you know, to really enrich it. And, um, you know, he ended up making one of the great classic masterpieces. Um, anyway. so the, and, and so that's what we, one, that was one week, you know, like we just went through all of those ones, Apocalypse Now, we looked at the, all the making yes. of all of the films, like there's the making of, um, I think it's... Um, Andre and I both gagging people. I know. Yeah. I was like, why are we talking about Coppola? We're both gagging to ask you questions right now. You, you're throwing so much out there. I know. We've only got five more minutes <laughs> on the timer. <laughs> no, no, no. I love. Um, okay. I just have one one question that I want to ask. And it was sort of related to what you were saying, which is you mentioned that you wanted to impart a technique about finding meaning. And I guess I wanted to ask if you could describe what the process is when you see meaning and when you see value while you're directing, like, what does that look like? What's that process like where you're like, that's the one? Oh, you mean like when I'm watching some takes and a scene, like how do I know that we hit gold or it's working? Yeah. It's really, really scary thing to try and figure out um, because there's so much energy and like, oh, when you're on set that it's sometimes quite difficult to know if you, you know, if you're just like helping the helping Sisyphus push the rock up the hill or it's really going up, you know. <laughs> um, but I've developed this idea that what you have to do is, do, you know, it's, it's really important to have a sort of yoga practice or I've got a Qigong practice called Renchu. Like practice where you, you rely on your body to tell you the truth because your mind will always lie to you. You know, it's the biggest liar ever. And um, so what I do is I... I watch what they're doing. I, I relax. I'm trying to be just an audience in a seat to relax. And I watch what the actors do. And as soon as a, a thought comes into my head, I know that I've been distracted, you know, mm. at a certain point in the scene. And that it didn't, at that point, um, yeah, they lost it. They lost the continuity. And if I can't um, relax and watch, then they're not in the scene. Because, you know, like good actors can make you feel like they're not connected. Um, you know, there's a really different thing. Like I always say, like an actor's dropped in, you know, which means that they've dropped in to the actual characters so that they're just being and they're in the scene. Yeah. And the difference between when they're trying to be and when they're being is that sense that you trust, they connect, you trust them and you connect to it. Mm. And when they're trying to be, you sort of are interested, but not in the mm. same way as where you relax and just give it everything, you know? And I remember being a driver on Top of the Lake season two, right at the end. And I remember you, one- Right, I, think I remember where I saw your face. <laughs> it was crazy. It was like such a whirlwind. I remember one day, I feel like it was like an election day and we're in Marrickville and there was three shoots going on in one place. Like it was like some warehouse. There's a baby. Oh, is that a ball or something? Gloves. There's like baby with green screen gloves. There's like oh, a right. Sim Trav thing going on. It's like 13, 12 weeks in. How do you approach a day like that? Like, how do you? Look at Ari, Ari Kleinman might have been shooting that day. So yeah. I take it very easy if someone else is shooting. <laughs> okay, true. 
Um, family as well. Like you, we're talking about bringing something personal. Like we're talking about the Godfather and bringing family in and making it personal. Um, how do you, yeah, how do you take such a big show and and bring that in each day? It's exciting when you're out shooting. You know, I think that the shoot day usually goes like this. That at the beginning of the day, um, you know, you're building up the atmosphere and the esteem and you're sensing into everybody, are we in the right place? Are we, you know, let's roll camera, let's start. Because once you begin, you're sort of, you're committed to a certain coverage and shape for it. And then, you know, and so it's all relaxed and easy going. At lunchtime, you find that you've hardly shot anything. And so after that, it's like, freaking hell, we've got to, we've got to do the day we've got to do the day so you're actually you know racing you know towards the finish line and maybe asking for an hour over time or something um but that's how it goes yes yeah <laughs> and then you, you get to the end of it and you go oh i did it yay or um if it really things go really badly you drop something and you know hope you get back to pick it up um yeah. But it's a little bit like being in accident and emergency at hospital, you know, like a patient comes in. I just often think of it like a scene. You just don't have time. You've got like, you know, two hours to shoot the scene. So um, where's its pulse rate? Where's its heart beating? You know, has it got oxygen? Okay, like shoot it. Like, okay, oh, oh yeah, I don't know. Another, another take. Oh, okay, next one, you know? <laughs> it kind of almost feels like what you're describing is a process where you're combining being pragmatic and decision-making with like a somatic response to what's happening. Um, yes. And trying to wrestle those things together. Yes. I mean, you're playing all the time and you've imagined the scene. Don't forget you've prepared and you've imagined the scene every single way you possibly can. And you've settled on what you think is going to be the best coverage, but then you get there and you find there's some changes. And so you, but because you've already pre-imagined it, it's, it's going to work out, you know? And, and you can make adjustments and fix it, but it's it's done. It's going to happen, you know. Hmm. And it's like one. they read your mind and they they just do it. I love. I feel like you're they're reading your mind, but you're also telepathic, and they're doing it because your intention is there. I had one final question, which was, how did you feel when film club closed? Oh, that's that's terrible. Yeah, I love Ben. I got I made Ben set up a special um <laughs> section just for me because everybody else had them. <laughs> ben, where's the Jane Campion section? This is this seriously effed up. What's going on? That's like Trace was there in the cri criterion yeah, closet like, saying, like, where are the trans filmmakers? <laughs> yeah. Like, Hello, hurry up, you know. Uh Ben, yeah. Well, I do feel happy for Ben having another life, but I do worry about, you know. I, as you know, we just can't get the same range of uh, videos and DVDs that we used to be able to get um, now that the streamers have kind of got hold of stuff and a lot of stuff's not available. And, you know, I don't know where you guys have figured out where to get it from, but mm. I, I think it stinks. And I love the way that you could go in and, like, browse, you know, mm. like and Dang. discover things that you, you didn't know that you wanted to watch, but now you really do, you know. We need to admit something to you, Jane. I don't know if you know, but when we were in film club last, we were like, then who's the most famous person that comes in? And he was like, Jane Campion. <laughs> and we were like, okay, open up the rental history. Let's have a look. And Ben was like, I can't, I can't. And we're like, come on. It was like, it's- Ben, it's you're a good boy. He, did he 
Did he open it up? And he, he did, did it. Yeah. A petit peu, just a little bit. Didn't <laughs> everything. Just the first film but ever. you'll see that it's such a mad collection of stuff, right? Yeah. But it's nice as the well first, to know that yeah. it seemed like it, when, you, when you were researching projects, I could sort of see where what you were doing based on which projects, based on what DVDs you were borrowing. So it was actually like an archive of yourself and your career. So oh, really? invasive. I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm so sorry. I hope that wasn't private. We haven't told anyone. <laughs> well, Ben might be upset. <laughs> Ben's going to be upset. <laughs> Jen, I think no, that have... place meant a lot to us. We we're, we're over time. We're five minutes over time. I want to just say I just want to talk about two friends for the rest of my life. I feel like we didn't even touch on that. It's my favorite movie. I want everyone to see it at the festival. Uh, I love Two Friends too. It got amazing reviews actually in New York when it had a little release there. It was. It was, um, yeah, it's a Helen Garner script, which was perfect. What were you um, inspired yeah. by at that time? Like, what were you watching that, that you was inspiring that question? <laughs> I mean, the thing was that, you know, that Jan Chapman just said, oh, I've asked, you know, write, um, Helen to write a script and I'd love you to do it. Will you read it? And I just thought, I mean, I'd just done a, a really kind of juvenile TV series with her and done one episode, which I always described as juvenilia. But um, she liked what I did and she said, you know, have a look. And I just thought, it's gonna, this is going to be so crummy. I can't believe it. And I read it and I, I loved it. I was so surprised. And I said, yeah, I would love to do it. I really love it. <sighs> and then I, I, I knew I'd have a really short amount of time to do it in, which was like five weeks or something. So I had to figure out a way to do it with, um, you know, that would work, that would give me, that could do the coverage in that time. So I basically tried to do every scene in one shot or two shots. Or... Oh, dear. Hello. I hope we haven't lost Jane Campion. We, Andre, it's Jane just Campion. you. It's just you, honey. We've just lost you. I know. Well, I... Oh, my I God. I don't know how to do it. Angie. Yeah, I can hear you. Maybe he'll come back. And we've lost Jane. Thank you for listening. That was Movies, Movies, Movies. This podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.